Hello, friends, and welcome to the final episode of Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. Some of you may have heard that I was in a serious car accident about six weeks ago. I'm recovering well, and none of the damage is permanent. But for the next year or so, life will be very different. I've backed out of a lot of projects, and honestly, I feel pretty good about that. This healing is some of the most meaningful and interesting work I've ever done. It's hard to explain exactly what I mean by that. Also, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm deeply, deeply grateful for all the love and support that I've received. Thank you. You might also have heard that my game Starcrossed won the Diana Jones Award for Excellence in Gaming this year at Gen Con. Thank you to everyone who was there that night, everyone who has supported and played Starcrossed, especially if you've told me about how much fun you had. I was in a hospital bed during the ceremony, but I was surrounded by friends and celebrating with joy. Backstory is coming to an end, but I want you all to know that I have loved working on this project. I've made real friends doing the show. I've learned so much. And I, I believe that I've contributed something important to this explosive moment in the development of role-playing games. It is a very cool time to be here. And the truth is, I've been planning to end the project for a few months now. I'm starting a master's program this week, and for the next two to three years, it's going to take every bit of my heart that isn't devoted to healing. It's a sad but very satisfying thing to finish backstory. I can't work on it and a master's thesis at the same time, but I'm pleased to see the names of some former guests in my bibliography. Thanks for being along for the ride, friends. For listening, sharing your thoughts about the show, suggesting guests, and especially for saying hi when I met you at cons. I seriously could not have done this without you. Your encouragement and your support and your love for the show has meant a lot to me. I am so pleased to introduce my final guest, Kat Tobin. Kat is a game designer and publisher living in Ireland. She co-owns Pelgrane Press, makers of Trail of Cthulhu, Gumshoe, 13th Age, The Seven Wonders Story Game Anthology, and a lot, lot more. They also reprinted the hashtag Feminism Nano Games Anthology, in which Kat has a very compelling entry I encourage you to check out. And Pelgrane is working now on an original anthology that you may have heard us talk about on the show before. And Kat has a few cards up her sleeve besides. So let's jump right in. You do a lot of work, Kat. <laughs> I feel like the, the first question you must usually get for in an interview must be like, so what is your role and what does you do? But I know a bit about that. And the answer is a lot. You just do like a lot, uh, pretty almost just about everything that it takes to kind of like make a publishing company run. I'm curious about like, how do you feel about being like a behind the scenes person? Do you know, I actually, it's, it's absolutely where I feel comfortable. Um, I, I just, the really great thing for me in terms of how Pelgrane is structured is that uh, people like Ken and Ken Height and Robin Laws, they get all of the, you know, the fans and the kind of glory and everyone wants to come and talk to them. And I get to just kind of, be left alone to like get on with things and and I really like that and that's it's it's very, it, but it is it's like I'm not I don't have I can kind of lark 
being a rock star if I have to, like if I have to do public speaking or something like that, I can LARP it. But it's not what I feel comfortable doing. I feel a lot more comfortable with somebody else being like the big showy kind of person in the front of things and me being in the background just doing the stuff. That's kind of where I'm happiest. But yeah, it's 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 a funny kind of a setup, I suppose. And it's it's how things are, I think, in the industry in that the people who are more on the production side are a lot less well known than the creatives. And even in terms of creatives, you know, you have your writers who are always the best known. And it's only the top like five or 10 percent of artists who are known, you know, compared to the writers. So I think there's definitely a kind of a celebrity pecking order there, or a celebrity structure. For such a small industry, it really is. It's very ego driven. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that that's it being a creative industry, really. Um, I haven't worked in many other creative industries. I came out of like hardcore accounting and finance where everyone was really dull and nobody had a personality except on the weekends <laughs> outside of work. So, I, I, I kind of get the impression that other creative industries are very much like that. Like you have to have so much self-belief to put yourself forward and make yourself vulnerable by showing and demonstrating the things that you've created and exposing them to you know, the criticism, essentially. So I feel like it's kind of self-selecting. Like, I would never, even though I write, I enjoy writing, I would never want to be a writer in this industry because I just, I don't want to have to deal with all of that kind of celebrity side of it, I guess. The kind of cultivating of your of your brand and, and kind of that kind of thing is not, not for me. Yeah, you're not someone who wants to be super public. How does it feel then to do something like, say gigantic game conventions like you go to origins you go to gen con every year um and that's a ton of exposure to the public and a ton of like dealing with people face to face is that exciting for you i mean it's it's always exhausting but is it also anything else <laughs> i mean i i really love it um i do actually love that side of it you know i don't i i love talking to people and hearing i really love hearing people's stories from the table that's the thing that gets me every time is when people come up to me and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, I've been running Trail of Cthulhu and, you know, we had the, the last session. This thing happened, you know, and I love that. I love the kind of war stories of people taking our games and getting out there and playing them. And for me, it's really I find that really kind of validating, I guess. You know, it's just really nice to know that people are actually playing them because that's the, the key thing for us. I mean, you know, it's nice if people when people buy them obviously that that keeps us going and it's cool when people read them but ultimately we really want people to be playing them you know that's that's why we that's why we make rpgs is for people to play them rather than to read them or to to look at them in that kind of critical light you know it's to just get them to the table play them and have fun with with friends so i love hearing the stories back from that and for me that's you know, that's really validating. And it's it's just really, you know, it gives me the warm and fuzzies to have people come up and say, oh, I've been playing your game and I really enjoy it. And it's, you know, it's really nice to know that I've contributed to that game being out there in some small way. So it's, like you said, I mean, it is it is exhausting because it's, you know, it's it's you're going for eight or nine hours at a time. And then only for us in the evenings we have meetings with colleagues or meetings with licensees or licensors and 
you know, it just the workload is is quite demanding. So it is it is very draining, certainly. But it's just and I, I love I just love meeting people who are playing our games or who like our games or who want to talk about our games. It's just it it makes the kind of three hundred I'm going to expose my ignorance of how many days there are in a year here. 357 days <laughs> of the year. Who, who you know, really knows? No one, no one really knows. <laughs> no, no one really knows. There are some theories. There are some theories, but that's all we have. That's all we have. Um, yeah, but like, so when I go to Gen Con or when I go to Origins, I get to talk to people and be part of that community in a way that, I'm, I really don't feel as much the the other 357 or however many days of the year because I'm I'm just kind of sitting in my office in my house by myself and you know I'm working away and kind of hoping that at some point that reaches other humans. So, like I said, it's just I love I love being at conventions and having other humans say that they have seen what I've done. You know, that's that's very cool. Yeah, and th- and then it means something to them. Yeah, exactly. I mean. You know, it's it's nice if they've seen it, but like you said, it's if they've if they've had a really enjoyable experience out of it. Or another thing as well is if they have questions about it. I mean, that's also, you know, that's also something that I really love is just having discussions about it and talking to people about like how we do things or how I've seen other GMs run things and that kind of thing. Because if people have questions about it, it means they've tried it. You know, they're engaging with it and they're, you know, they're really interested in it. You know, they they really want to know more about it. So I like that. And and I happen to know I used, I used to work for Pelgrane Press. For listeners who don't know, you you have got some wholesome fans. Like so so much of the Pelgrane catalog is a lot of like Cthulhu stuff. You know, there's this really like dark horror stuff and investigative Lovecraftian. You know, but all of your fans are just like so sweet. <laughs> It's so true. Oh my gosh, we are like we are so blessed. You know, every every now and again something will happen, often Kickstarter related, and I'll just I'll just go on social media and be like, I you know, I do not often enough give a shout out to how amazing Calgrain fans and customers are. They're just the best people. Like you said, our games are all like mass murder and horrific terror and awfulness and world ending apocalypses and you know all of that kind of stuff but our our people the people who the people who who kind of the most I guess engage with us or are enthused by what we're doing as a company are just the best people they're all deeply respectful incredibly patient really supportive and and just you know they're just good people that you know like you said you've having worked with them you've you've seen them firsthand and they're just amazing like I just I do feel so I'm so grateful for that all the time because I see things that you know colleagues in the industry post about problematic customers that they have and you know hand on heart like we we just have never had those issues I mean I it's it's not a challenge trolls of the world <laughs> although I'm sure trolls don't listen to your show but but you know what I mean it's just oh, they are the best they are really the best and that's you know and that's and it makes you want to do better for them as well you know when you know they're so good like if somebody is like jumping up and down and going meh, 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 I want I want this or I want that and they're being demanding it disinclines you to help them. Whereas if people are like, oh, no, it's okay. I, I know you'll get to it when you're ready. You're like, no, I want to do it for you right now and do something else as well because you're just so nice. 
<laughs> totally. I mean, f- like thinking about it though, just as a business person, I mean, when you think about what you do with Pelgrane and how you interact with your customers and the community, what are you doing to cultivate that kind of relationship? There must be things that you're doing that are building that kind of relationship. I think that's, I mean, that's a really tough question because like by the time I got to Pelgrane, you know, the, a lot of the community was established and a lot of the people who are still with us are people who have been with us since before, before the cat times, you know, back in the, for the, for the, um, back before there was a me. So I think that one of the things that I really see in Simon in particular, and also in Ken and Robin as well, is just an overwhelming enthusiasm for and passion for RPGs, right? That is just, they all love that, right? They're all, you know, their motivation is the same, I guess, as our customers and our fans. They just want the best possible play experiences at the table. And I think when you have that sense of commonality with your community, I think that's a really big part of it. Certainly in, you know, in later, more recently, I guess, we've also been not um, not explicitly public, but not been quiet about, about wanting to make sure that everyone is included in the community. You know, and, and our inclusivity and, and wanting to increase the diversity of both the players and and the producers of games in in RPGs. And I think that that has maybe lost us some of the people that might be less inclusive. Um, <laughs> if, but, yeah. you know, yeah. it, again, it's, it's, it is kind of self-selecting. It's like when you say, look, we're explicitly we're going to work really, really hard to be as inclusive as we can with the people we work with and also with our books in terms of what we're, what we're putting out there and what we're publishing. And when you, when you are not silent about doing that, it does mean that people who are against that either have to not buy your stuff anymore not support you um, or yeah, I mean that, that's. I guess that's their only option, really. You know, it does, <laughs> it does become a situation where only the people who are coming with you on that journey, you know, only people who believe in that same. In, in I don't want to say cause. That's not what I mean. But I mean it's a it's a set of values. Yeah, only people who share those values. That's exactly it. Come with you when you say things like that, and kind of I guess that's what you want. You know, you want have a share to have shared values with your customers and we certainly since since I've been involved that's it's been clear to me that our customers largely share all of our values and as we've become more vocal I guess less silent more so than more vocal there is a because there's a difference you know we don't want to be all like oh look at us we're great because we have a long 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 way to go um, I think we all do. we all do in the industry, and and I certainly don't want to be like these are the things that we're doing. When I'm very conscious that there are a lot of other things we're not doing as well as we could be, but yeah. So, but when we do things like say we're only going to support conventions that have publicly posted anti-harassment policies, I mean, if you don't agree with that, then we're not going to change our minds because of you. You know, you need to either change your mind or you know get off the Pelgrane train, I guess. So, 
Yeah, that's um that's a very nice kind of uh, a culling technique, actually, <laughs> to just say here here are the protagonists who are going to be in Say Cthulhu Confidential. If it bothers you <laughs> that they're all not all uh, straight white men, then uh, great, excellent. Yeah, <laughs> and fun. then see you, see you later. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that there are still, unfortunately, some people who are publishing stuff just for you. So you go be with them. Yeah, yeah, have no fear. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, but if there's a, but then there's a correlation, I think, in that, in that the people who have those values tend to be more respectful and more kind of compassionate towards you know what you're trying to do as well so so it's worked out in that way I want to talk to you about your experience of publishing I mean do, doing the reprint on the hashtag feminism collection because I've I'm sure I'm sure it's it was a I don't know dodgy proposition to some people like I don't think just any publisher would have been like yeah this is something we want to put ourselves behind I don't know was it an easy choice for you and Simon? Oh my gosh. I I mean, it wasn't, it was kind of <laughs> like, I was, I, I mean, desperate's a strong word. It's probably not the right word, but I was so, I was, I was so, so keen to publish that. Like I, from the first time, from the first time I heard about the project, uh, I loved the concept. I just thought it was a fantastic concept. And then in, and I actually wrote one of the games in it. So I've, I've been involved in it from the very, very start and going through the process was great. And then when I saw the final book, I was just blown away by the, the quality of it. You know, just um, shows a uh, layout it is stunning. It's just a really fantastic looking book. The games are really great. So, you know, I've I've played or run most of the games in it now at this point, and they all really stand up. They're all just really high quality games, really well edited. It's a really great anthology in terms of how it's put together. You know, you've got things like uh, your teardrop rating for each of the games allows you to match the intensity of the game to the situation that you're you're playing or running it in, in a way that I think is is really important and not done as well in other in other games and you know it tells you what you need in terms of materials and time and stuff like that as well so it's very logistically easy to just pick it up and run things with it so from the very start i i loved it as a book and when it was originally an indiegogo campaign and they they funded it enough to do a small print run and when that print run was over i actually approached the editors and i said what what are you doing with it now and they were like oh well we hadn't really thought about it. And I was like, I would love to keep it in print. I think it's an incredibly important book. And I desperately want people to be able to access it if they want it. I really want to keep it out there. I really want to promote it and ideally get it into more places that than you're currently able to. So I would love the opportunity to publish it. And I didn't beg, but, you know, <laughs> nearly begged. <laughs> I certainly pleaded quite a lot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for, it was, you know, for me, it just, there was no, it never occurred to me for a second to not do it, I suppose. And Simon, Simon has always been a really, a really supportive ally, I think, in, in those terms. Um, and he was, he loved it as well as soon as he saw it. And we were, it was something that we were both very, very enthusiastic about publishing and just keeping out there as a book 
So that made it a really, really easy decision. I mean, from a business perspective, again, you kind of, I think that a lot of the time you're, a lot of the skill in in business comes from knowing what not to do, rather as well as knowing what to do. And I think that we're at a point in the world at the moment where, you know, you have to be pushing things forward. If you're not challenging sexism and racism and other forms of oppression when you see them, then you are doing it wrong. And, you know, that's 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 what I think. And as a company, you know, you kind of go, well, we can we can just let people know what we're doing and what we think, or we can, you know, continue to pretend that we're that we're willing to accept these things in our in our industry and we're not. So it it was very much a kind of a just in case anyone missed the memo, this is the kind of company we are kind of uh, planting a flag on the ground and it's you know and it was a, a big I guess I mean I I didn't really think about it being a statement so much but but certainly it has been and uh, there have been things have been said about me on forums because obviously it's my fault and I'm always the one that's, that's playing these kind of things and you know so things have been said about me in the darker more kind of uh, odorous corners of the internet about you know the direction that I'm taking Pelgrane or you know what I'm doing or you know the SJW the oppressive SJWness of it all or whatever it is people say but again you know they're not who we want with us really we want people with us who share our values and also believe that having diversity in, in our games and in our industry is a really, really important thing. So, you know, sometimes you've just got to make a bold statement to make sure that the people who are with you are the right people. And I think that that was certainly something that Hashtag Feminism did. It, it really, I don't know, it, it really did make it, make a statement about who we are and what we were doing. It is such a great book, though, that as a publisher, getting that the opportunity to do that you know why would you not and i think especially because it is like actually just a great collection i i just i just feel that the way that it's put together and the way you know you talked about the teardrop system the way that it's laid out the way that the games are so accessible and i wish that everyone putting together games and particularly anthologies and short games would would look at that you know regardless of what else about the the games they're interested in yeah, it's a really fantastic model just for for logistics and structure in in a game or in a games anthology. It's just great. I mean, it's just everything about it is great, you know. Yeah. Now, what are the lessons? So, thinking about your experience publishing that, um, you know, doing doing the reprint, what are the lessons that are coming from that that are going into the upcoming erotic art games anthology? There's um, there's a lot that I learned from that, and it was from seeing how the editors again. You know, we've already talked about the layout, but just how it was presented, the presentation and the layout. I think are the main. The yeah, the learning from the presentation in terms of 
like being able to use stock art and just having it look so beautiful was a real eye opener to me. It's like if you have somebody as as just brilliant at design as Xu Meng, like they can just take anything and make it beautiful. So that's certainly in aesthetic terms, we're going to be looking at a similar aesthetic for the erotic games collection. And as well as that, the layout, so the structure, how games are structured, I'm also going to be quite keen to just to, to have have them be more pick up and go-ish, have clarity around just the materials that you need to bring into them, the amount of time they might take, you know, and we probably won't have a teardrop system, but we might have a similar rating for some kind of sexual content kind of rating, maybe like an explicitness con- context, something like that. You know, we'll need to kind of have a look at the final games that end up in it and see what would work best with that. But just a way of kind of a way of demonstrating a way of managing expectations, I guess, for our players and game runners in terms of what the content of a particular game is going to be like. I think that's a really big lesson to take away because a lot of time, particularly with anthologies, you don't necessarily know from the outset how, what way a game's going to go. So I think definitely having some kind of metric like that will be will be a useful thing. Um, and just the idea of doing it at all, I think. Um, I think certainly having been involved with hashtag feminism and just seeing what a really important piece of work it was in the context of RPGs and in the context of what's being published at the moment has had a really big influence on the kind of work that I want to see out there. And one of the the great things about being a publisher is that I'm actually empowered to give space and give a voice to, to games that I think are really doing something novel in the industry. I mean, I don't think I've ever done anything, any sort of interview without talking about Emily Kerbasa's romance trilogy, because that's just one of the most formative, you know, they, they are some of my most formative uh, RPGs, or some of the most formative RPGs for me. Um, but there are not, there are nowhere near enough games um, about about romance and about eroticism and sexuality and and that's such a powerful vein of narrative to mine that I just don't understand why we're not doing more of it you know it's so many of if if you look at other media you know one of my big things is that role playing is a medium for storytelling and if you look at any other media if you look at like film tv literature they're doing so many, there are so many different types of stories you can be telling with role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And it just, things like uh, hashtag feminism and the erotic games anthology really, I, I feel, help to educate game designers in particular about what we can be telling games about, you know, what we can be using this, the medium of role-playing to look at or to investigate or to educate about, you know, there are a lot of possibilities for it that we're, you know, we haven't scratched the surface of its potential yet. Um, so for mm-hmm. me, hashtag feminism and the erotic games anthology 
occupy a very similar space in terms of being, I guess, pioneering games, you know, pioneering collections, new ways of doing role-playing things. So it's it's exciting, I'm sure, to be on the forefront of that and to be on that cutting edge. I mean, I don't know, is it terrifying too? <laughs> I mean, it is, like, because, you know, it's almost like, I mean, also I... I spent a lot of time in my 20s going, but are games art, though? And, you know, somewhere around the time that I found Nordic LARP, I went, oh, yes, they are. Great. <laughs> done. Done. Yeah, totally. Just done. Great. That's, that's that internal debate over they are art, and now I can just proceed on that basis. And the thing about art is that it should be challenging. I think it is good that some art is political. I think that's very important. Um, you could argue that all art is political, and that's probably a more accurate way of putting it. But there are a lot of things that art does that I would like role playing to also do. And one of the things, unfortunately, that art does is be a commercial failure. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can hear the sweat drop on your forehead when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, but that is exactly the thing, you know, when you when you innovate, when you do new things and when you are out there, you know, when you're not making another D20 fantasy game or you're not making another Cthulhu game, when you're doing something very different, you are very vulnerable to, you know, to just something not being what people want to see. You know, sometimes there's a reason why people aren't doing things and you don't know what that is until you do it. So yeah, it, it can be, you know, the it can be quite nerve-wracking to kind of not know how a thing is going to be taken. Like I said, with hashtag feminism, it was just for me, it was so such an obvious I I just so wanted it to be published and out there and available and accessible to people. Um and with the erotic games anthology, I, I think in a lot of ways that's more of a risk. I think that sexuality is is still a really big taboo subject, particularly in the US. And that's, you know, we, we don't know how people are going to react to that. So that's that's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, I, I do hope that a lot of our customers will take the approach, well, it's not for me, but I'm really glad that it's, that it exists and that it's out there. So, but it is, it is a risky it is a, a risky project, definitely, I think, more so than, than hashtag feminism was. So, yeah, but I, I'm excited about it. I think it's, it's going to be really cool. And uh, Shuang and Lucien are such joys to work with as well on it. They're so enthusiastic about it and really, really passionate about it. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good project. Yeah. I, I had uh, Lucien on last episode, actually, and we were talking about it. And... Uh... Yeah, I'm just stoked. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad it's happening. I'm glad they're in charge of it. Like, I'm glad they're doing the curating and editing, and I'm glad that you folks are publishing. I'm sure th that you must have been one of the first publishers they talked to. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure what their. I'm not sure what their process was, but but certainly I was very interested in it um, as a as an idea. And we are kind of we we have in in some circles, I guess. There are some people who say, oh, yeah, Pelgrane do some kind of artsy, more kind of story games. You know, we're not going to get into the what is a story game conversation. <laughs> nope. That's that, forbidden. You know, <laughs> <on this podcast. laughs> 
but but yeah, so we definitely I think that in in some corners we do have a reputation for certainly for for novel games and for taking risks with games in a way, like you said, that maybe other publishers might not be quite so keen on. Um, so we're, I think we're certainly a good first port of call to come to with a kind of a funny idea. Although in saying that, you know, there are a lot of criteria that we use to decide what to publish versus not. I think um, I think it's interesting that, you know, at some point when you look back on your career, you're going to be able to look at some like really solid commercial successes. I mean, when you think about everything in, in the Trail of Cthulhu line and the 13th Age line. Um, but I, I can't imagine that that looking at that stuff and going, oh yeah, those were solid games that did really well and people really enjoyed them. It's going to be a completely different kind of reflection than thinking about stuff like um, like some of the fiction anthologies that Pelgrin has put out and looking at hashtag feminism and this new anthology. Yeah, I think I think there are different... There are certainly different metrics for success or metrics for looking back on a project and evaluating it. And you really do, I think when you're running a business, you have to balance the more commercial projects. So, you know, things like, like you said, 13th Age and Trail of Cthulhu are both, you know, really, really solidly designed, really strong games in their space. Like they are great games and they're and they're certainly you know that they're in terms of like kind of sales and commerciality that they're our our best our best selling games as well um but it's my i still have like i don't think i will ever not love seven wonders which was um an anthology of story games that i did i think i will always love that the most out of any project I've done. I mean, because Hashtag Feminism is amazing, but that was done when I came to it, where Seven Wonders kind of didn't exist as an idea. It was just, I saw Becky Anderson's uh, When the Dark is Gone, and I loved, like like with Hashtag Feminism, I loved it so much. I just, I was like, I just really, really want to publish this. But it was a bit too short to publish as a standalone PDF, and I couldn't kind of work out what to do with it. I thought, well, if I got other games to go along with it, and made it an anthology, then suddenly that's a book. And it just kind of started from there. And it was really, I guess, my first kind of, it was the first project that I really, really did by myself. You know, I, I kind of, you know, designed the kind of the structure for it and how it was going to go. And I kind of reached out to to newer writers as well. So it was kind of a real learning curve for me in terms of working with people who weren't necessarily used to we're all very experienced uh, players and GMs, but weren't necessarily used to writing down what they did for other people to read. And, it, and in some cases as well, they were so um, so ingrained within a play culture that there were massive parts of their games that they just weren't even thinking needed to be said. Um, and that was really interesting that was one of the most fascinating elements about it for me was was realizing just how different people's play cultures could be and also the assumptions that you make about it's it's not necessarily something that you realize is that other people come from different play cultures until you see somebody until you see two people running the same game from the same words on a piece of paper and you might have i don't know if i've told you this before but um 
So with Becky's game, I ran it and it went exactly as I expected it to. And it was really good. It was, you know, we all really enjoyed it. It went, like I said, literally exactly how I had presumed it would run from having seen it written down. And then, and I can't remember how it happened because I didn't do it on purpose, but I gave it to Simon and he was going to run it for a, a different group. And his game was so different. And I and it was it was really fascinating. I was playing it and I was like, what? I I don't understand how 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 did our two games run so differently? And he kind of said, Well, like, you know, this is what I was doing. And he said, you know, when I saw when I saw this line, I just did this. And I was like, oh, when I saw that line, I did something completely different. But you're right, you've done it right, but I've coming from the same play culture, I have brought a whole other set of assumptions and and knowledge and experience and done it in a way that is not written down because of all of those assumptions. And it's, you know, and that was so fascinating because, you know, I would have thought like myself and Simon have really similar taste in terms of the kind of games that we enjoy. You know, we're both like really interested in, we love investigative games, we love puzzle solving, but also we love like anything that lets us role play. We're both big, you know, really big role players. Like we love to inhabit a character and really like kind of get into it that way. So I, you know, it never occurred to me that we came from different play cultures until I saw that. So yeah, so and, and we we had originally come from the, you know, how I felt about working on other projects for, you know, working on things like 13th Age and Trail of Cthulhu versus our, you know, our more kind of indie story focused games. Yeah, it's a really, I think it's a, particularly with, with things like 13th Age, I mean, Rob and Jonathan are so experienced, you know, they're such experienced RPG writers and designers and Robin Laws is the same. Ken I is the same. You know, they all, they've been doing this for years. So you don't need to tell them anything. You just say, you know, write about this topic. They just go off and write it and come back to you with a game. You know, and that's, as a publisher, that's fantastic. I mean, that's, you know, they are real kind of, you know, they are real professionals. They really are. But it's a very different experience than, Kind of coaching somebody through um, a process of of kind of going from having an idea for a game to seeing their game in print. You know, those those are two very different experiences, and you know, it's all about balance. It is it is really all about striking the right balance between having the kind of minimal input, minimal effort, uh, really professional. Kind of games just come into you versus having the more involved and and personal. It's a much more kind of personal journey. I think you know you you spend a lot more time with with kind of newer writers, and yeah, and it's a it's just a very different way of of working with people and and it's and they're both you know they're both really valuable and necessary. I think for us as a company in terms of continuing to innovate, but also continuing to make money as well. That's generally nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, and and also if you can't survive economically uh, and you can't be doing well and, and stable and sustainable, then you can't do those innovative things. You can't do those exciting new things if you don't have some 
you know, comfortable, solid hits to, to lean on. That's exactly it. Yeah. So it is, you know, it is just a, a balancing act, you know, just making sure that you're, that you're focusing on, you're able to focus on both. So. So when you think about the future, I mean, what you're doing, whether it's with Pelgrane or just in general, what are you really stoked about? What what do you see for yourself in the next few years? Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's like a, you know, that's such a classic interview question, isn't it? It's like, you know, the where do you see yourself? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so you're like alive, hopefully. I don't know. One of the biggest kind of decisions I guess I've made in my life um, was to move back to my hometown, um, which is in a really rural and remote part of West in Ireland. And I basically moved back because it's I just want to hang out with my dad, basically. Um, he had a he had a heart attack in 2012, and I was living in Edinburgh at the time um, in 2011 actually, and I was living in Edinburgh at the time and. I kind of went, gosh, you know, if that had been it, I would have spent the rest of my life regretting not knowing him better as an adult. So I feel like this is kind of a second chance to do that. So where where I was going with that is that all of my life decisions are determined by my geographical location at the moment. So the the work that I do necessarily has to be remote work. I have to be able to do it from my hometown. And that's kind of, you know, that's that can be quite a good thing. I'm I'm kind of magpie-ish in terms of <laughs> I can sometimes see a thing and go, oh, that's shiny. I'm, I'm going to go like follow that and then get and then get distracted by something else and go, oh, follow that. So it can it's it's quite good for me to have some kind of limiter on what I'm doing. So I know that I'm definitely going to be based in West Cork for as long as my dad's around. And then after that, you know, I'm not even going to think about what what's going to happen after that. But what that means is that definitely remote working. I really love Pelgrane. It's, I mean, it's just, it's been my life for like the last six years, six and a half years now. But also I'm kind of running a little bit out of steam with it. So I'm kind of at a point with it where I'm like, well, I find myself kind of doing similar things with it. And and I think when I came in, I really kind of changed things up a bit, which is great. And I, I think it would be really great to have that new energy again. And I'm now kind of part of the old energy, I guess, of it. So I'm really keen to like, I, w- I would really lo- like, I would really love to be able to hand it over to somebody else to run. I mean, that would be that would be kind of the the goal. I think in the kind of short term, in like the next kind of three years, I'm I'm definitely looking to to get somebody else in to to help on the on the running it side, like to do the day to day running of it. So yeah, because I I had this. It's you know again I'm I'm so distractible. It's terrible. But I was at um, Pax Club in uh, November, and I was on an amazing panel um, called Executive Women in Tabletop with uh, people like Heather O'Neill from Ninth Level Games, who is one of the smartest people in the industry. She's so brilliant. And, you know, Melissa lewis is like really fantastic marketing brain. Oh, Misha Bushiger, who's just amazing. It, it just, these incredible women. But one of the questions that they asked us was um, what our dream project would be. And I was kind of sitting at the end, so everyone else got to kind of 
book before I did. And I was kind of sitting there going, gosh, you know, what would my dream project be? And I was, you know, said Misha Bushegger is one of the hashtag feminism editors. And I was going, you know, hash, hashtag feminism, you know, w- would have been a dream project for me. I just think that's such an incredible piece of work, you know, but I can't really say that with Misha sitting like right there, you know. So I was like, gosh, what can I say? You know, and I was kind of doing that thing that you do when you're on a panel and, you know, you're conscious that your turn is about to come up and you have literally nothing to say. And I was going, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here like in front of all of these people. So it came to me and I was like, um, so, you know, and I, I think I did say something about hashtag feminism being so fantastic. And then I said, like, just kind of blurted out, but, you know, a thing that I would love to do um, is an Irish language or PG. And like people just the people in the crowd got really excited about it, like and they were cheering and stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Sure. I came away from that and it kind of started just, you know, the way you get something in your head and you kind of go, Well, like if I did, I mean, I guess I would you know, I guess I would make it really traditional and I would look at the kind of mythic cycle, you know. And I would kind of draw inspiration from that. And, you know, I would probably Kickstarter for it. And you just, you know, you kind of start, you know, maybe this is not true for everyone. But for me, it just got into my head. And I was like, I just kind of need to do this now to just to just to get it out of my head so I can focus on other things. And I went to my local convention, which is called WorkCon. It's a really fun social convention, like games convention um, in Cork. And I was I was talking to some of my friends there. I was kind of saying, and I was explaining as I've just done exactly that story and going, so now I'm like, you know, now it's kind of stuck in my head and now I actually kind of want to do this. And one of my friends, Donna, said, oh, you know, I have this idea for a game about the Irish Civil War. And it's a story game. And it takes place in the 1960s at the funeral of somebody that the, the PCs all knew. The thing about the Irish Civil War is that it followed on from the War of Independence. So you had um, like the Irish Republican Army basically all fighting together to, you know, for an Irish Republic and to free it from the British. And then there was, you know, the Anglo-Irish Treaty basically split the country in two. So all of these people who had fought side by side were suddenly fighting each other. You know, you had brothers fighting brothers. And, you know, best friends forever fighting each other and families divided. You know, it was just, it was a really, and I think as well, because we're such a small country, it was just a really, really bitter, horrible conflict. So the game basically takes place in the 1960s at the funeral of somebody that you knew through the War of Independence, but also through the Civil War. And it you play it through a series of flashbacks and you basically establish relationship kind of during the War of Independence and then during the Civil War, and then how the Civil War impacted your relationships and your connection and where you've ended up in the 1960s as a result of it. And he was he was kind of, you know, saying this, and I was going, oh, that sounds amazing. I really want to publish that. And I kind of went, but that's not, that's really not a Pelgrane thing at all. And then I kind of went, but if I had like an Irish games company that would definitely be a project that 
that would be able to do. So anyway, so like the TLDR is that I've set up an Irish games company, which is called Taspi Press. Um, so it's spelled T-A-S-P-A-I father with like an accent. And Taspi means kind of uh, a playfulness or a kind of an animal exuberance. So like you might say like that a puppy was like full of Taspi. But it can also mean like another alternate meaning is like furious anger. So I thought it could work for me. So yeah, so now I'm going to do, now I've got like two projects apparently that Taspi Press is going to publish. And the first is going to be Donna's Game, his uh, Civil War story game, which I just think sounds so amazing. And also an Irish language RPG, which I'm pretty sure would be the first one. I don't think anyone has done that before. Um, so yeah, so kind of in terms of what I'm doing, like I said, like I like you know I might as well be kind of tattooed with Pellegrin on me I think because I'm you know really I'm I'm always going to be part of that I'm always going to be part of Pellegrin to some extent but also I I just I have these other ideas for things that I that I would love to do it's just yeah I get I get really excited about some games and I just want to see them out there and with with those games like they need to be done under a different company I think than Pellegrin so, yeah, so kind of trying to do both of those, I think, for the next year or two. And at the moment, like, Tospi's just going to do those two. But then I'll see how that goes. You know, we we started talking um, at the start about a new board games cafe that's opening up in my hometown. Like, you know, the, the launch of which is is basically in, in half an hour. So that's going to be really interesting for me because I just, I'm really geographically isolated from gamers at the moment so I don't really know how having a kind of a connection back into Irish gaming again I you know I'm leaving a lot of kind of room for opportunities there I guess in terms of like meeting people and and them having ideas that I'm excited about but yeah so kind of you know for the next year or so anyway it's going to be like probably quite a lot of Pelgrane and and a little bit of Taspi just to kind of keep it interesting. That does sound interesting. And I'm I'm excited to see what happens with cultivating a local community too. You know, a small town, people can kind of think, oh, there's nothing going on. It's not going to be anything fun. People aren't going to come out. But my experience is that when you have a really small and particularly isolated population, it just it means that when you put on an event, people show up. Like, yeah, they do. People want to come out and play. They really, really do. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's so interesting to me because there's, there's nothing, I don't really know anyone locally that I can play games with. So just, just knowing that there is, you know, I, th- I think having a, having a physical space, you know, I'm, I'm a really big fan of like um, bricks and mortar game stores for exactly that reason that a community kind of accretes around physical spaces. And I think that they're really important for you know, forming community hubs and giving people a place to come to, to, you know, it's just really good to know that I can go there and talk to people about games at any point. And just having that space means that I will, I will take advantage of that and I will use it. And I hope that, you know, there are other people like me locally who have also been really keen to find other gamers. And now that there's a place for us all to come together, we'll, we can connect 
So yeah, also I'm really excited about the idea of running RPGs there and trying to <laughs> trying to like get more RPGs running locally to make make more gamers well not make more convert more I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I again, I I just from people in similar situations, I can tell you there are people who you know, played that one game of D&D in high school or saw it in TV or something and they want to play so bad, but it's just a matter of like, you know, having the space, getting people together, making it happen. Yep, that's exactly it. So I'm really excited. I'm kind of up to my eyes in it at the moment with Gen Con prep, but like once once I'm done with that, I'm back like, oh man, I'm going to be in there all the time. They're going to be so sick of me. They really are. And because it's a small town... <laughs> Because it's a small town in Ireland as well. Obviously, I'm related to one of them through marriage. Um, Naturally. People organizing it. So, yeah. Oh, they, no, it's going to be good, though. I'm excited about it. I think that is, I mean, there's so much more stuff I could ask you about. But I think that's a really, really nice note to close on. It seems like there's just so much happening and going to happen and, like, waiting in the wings for you. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited, too, actually. It's a good time to be a me. <laughs> awesome. Well, if if my listeners want to keep up with uh, you and what you're doing and what you're up to and what you're making, uh, where should they go? Oh, that's that's a good question. So Facebook and Twitter are always the the most up to date for me personally, as well as for Pelgrane and for up and coming Tospi Press. So I am at C-A-T-T-H-M on Twitter. And I think I'm Katrina Tobin on Facebook now. But I'm sure that if you did a search for Kat Tobin on Facebook, you would probably find me. And then we're we're just like Pelgrane Press everywhere. And Taspi will be T-E-A-S-P-A-I, the father, press everywhere soon as well. Awesome. Links in the show notes. Cool. Uh, Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad we could finally have this chat. This was super awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for for having me on. It's, It's really, you know, I'm really big. again to Kat for joining me. And as always, dear friends, thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you should go to helloalexroberts.com. And there you can find my email, social media stuff, and my Patreon. I'm planning to keep my patrons updated with my research, uh, other games projects, and any idle thoughts and experiments that may pop up over the next little while. I'm officially on hold from new games projects, but I don't know if I'll be able to resist for that long. If you've enjoyed my work, if you've enjoyed the show, and you want to stay in touch and keep supporting me, my Patreon is the best way. Patreon.com slash HelloAlexRoberts. Backstory is hosted by me, Alex Roberts, and produced by the talented Alex Sisk. We're part of the OneShot Podcast Network. You can go to OneShotPodcast.com to find more wonderful RPG-related podcasts and video streams and who knows what other wonderful projects they'll get up to. Thank you to everyone at the network for hosting and supporting the show over the past, wow, three years? And okay, yeah. (laughs) Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You, and you can find more by searching U-J-I-C-O on YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your chill beats. Talk to you later, friends. Thank you.